Many years ago, when the planet Krypton, home of a race of supermen, exploded in space, the sole survivor was an infant boy who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's now playing Superman Movie Retrospective Series. Man, this is going to be good. Hosted by Stuart. He had no right to bring that, that monstrosity in here. Arnie. Well, you give the impression you're leading a, a, a double life. And Jacob. They were staring at me through that window. They were just horrible. And these three new arrivals bring destruction in their way. These people have such powers, nothing can stop them. Now that you know, I think you should know it all. Tell me everything, starting with crystals. Can you read my mind? If so, you already know this podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Holy skokeswit! Listener discretion is advised. Bring it on! There are questions to be asked. And it is time for you to do so. Here in this, this fortress of solitude, we shall try to find the answers together. Today we're discussing Superman and the Mole Men, starring... George Reeves, Phyllis Coates, and directed by Lee Sholem. I'm Arnie, the hairy-palmed co-host of Now Playing. <laughs> Stuart in L.A. And this is your host of Steel, Jacob. What, you couldn't find a quote in the Mole Man? <laughs> I, I just didn't want to play off your hairy palms thing. <laughs> yeah, how did you get those hairy palms, Arnie? By crawling six miles up a hole with my really bad skull cap and... With my radiation-tainted skin and touching things. Something tells me that you're not going to turn this into a glowing podcast with your phosphorescent hands. Well, this is a long tradition here at Now Playing. How many times have we started with the movie that no one wanted to hear us talk about when they're dying for us to talk about the series? I feel like we were guilty of this back with X-Men when we covered Generation X, that obscure 90s Fox pilot. I'm still happy we did because I learned about Mind Rape from Max Headroom. <laughs> yes, we learned about the origins of Christopher Nolan's Inception. It was all worth it. Yeah, and then, of course, just recently, we started Die Hard with a 1968 Frank Sinatra potboiler, The Detective. I learned some <laughs> things about sex in that, I think. Woo! That was racy. <laughs> and now, here we are at Superman, but you guys told me <laughs> there was another. At first, I thought you guys meant the serials, and I was ready to pull out the We Didn't Do That for Captain America or Batman card. But no, in 1940. 51, a Superman theatrical film was made, much like Batman, to tie into the TV series. And just like on the Batman 1966 movie podcast, I complained this was the thing I was always afraid to watch. This is, I think, what Batman the TV show was supposed to be. A campy, kiddie, nothing 
of a project that is not worthy of consideration. I gotta say, there's probably no movie on our calendar this year I was looking less forward to watching than Superman and the Mold Men. I mean, oh, <laughs> do we have to do this? Really? Okay. I actually was game for Superman and the Mole Men. Coming into Superman, I grew up with Superman, and I would constantly watch the black and white George Reeves episodes as a kid. I remember one where he went into a coal mine, grabbed a chunk of coal, and squeezed it so hard with his super fist it became a perfectly cut diamond, and all of these old episodes and him running into the supply closet to change into Superman. I watched these so often, and yeah, I knew that it wasn't going to be high art, but I was looking forward to a return to that Superman, the George Reeves Superman that only is remembered, I think, anymore by the biggest of Ben Affleck fans who love Hollywoodland. Well, maybe that's because you were the Superman fan. I mean, I need not remind too many of our listeners, I'm not the comic book guy. I did not grow up reading Superman comics. I did not watch that ridiculous black and white show. I did watch the Super Friends. Always liked that. <laughs> and of course, I did see the Christopher Reeve movies, although only the first three theatrically and kind of lost interest after that. But I am not huge on this series. I come here as much of a newbie as could possibly be. I have not seen Superman 1 through 4 since the 80s, and I don't think that I've ever seen some of these Superman movies we're going to be watching on our retrospective. Yeah, I have a conflicted history with Superman. When we get to that Donner film and its sequel, those are strong childhood memories for me. Watching that first Superman film almost every week on videotape. Looking at pictures of me as a kid, I tons of Superman toys. Like, you would think that's my favorite thing. When I got into comics, though... Well, it was Batman that got me into comics. Superman, he's kind of goofy. Well, we'll talk about it. He's that Boy Scout. He wasn't that dark character. And I think there's some issues with him as a character being so strong and so powerful. Again, we'll probably get into these ideas. But trying to read his stories as these serial stories month after month after month, what can you do with the guy? It gets repetitive. But these Christopher Reeves films that we'll get into, strong childhood memories, beloved films of mine, at least some of them, not all of them. But The Adventures of Superman, this black and white TV, show. I remember this playing on Nick at Night all the time when I was like a teenager. Mm. I, it's black and white. I'm not going to watch that. I remember kind of sitting through some of it. I'm like, oh, this is so cheesy. You know, kind of how you react to Batman 66 before you really get what's going on there. I don't think this had that same kind of camp appeal. But for me, though, the Superman in the moment is the first time really sitting down and watching George Reeves as Superman. And the last for me. And for listeners who haven't heard our previous comic book stuff, I'm not really a comic book guy. I don't read a whole lot of comic books. I never did growing up. But I am the multimedia comic book guy. I also watched Super Friends, and I watched every superhero show I could. I watched Batman as a kid on television. I watched Superman. And yeah, Superman, the Christopher Reeve films, also a huge influence on me as a kid. I had the Superman Mego figure. I took it with me when I was about four years old to get my hair cut and demanded the hairstylist give me the Superman curl in front. <laughs> I did the same thing, Artie. I had that same curl as a kid. What does that involve? A lot of grease, I imagine. <laughs> she used mousse. And I was so upset when I woke up the next day and the curl was gone. I thought she could cut it in such a way that I would have that curl until my next haircut. <laughs> Lucky for you, she couldn't. <laughs> 
So Superman was a big part of my childhood in this multimedia phase, but much like Jacob, I agree, as an adult, I failed to see where Superman could be interesting as a character. When you get someone so powerful, so invulnerable, how do you make him at all relatable or vulnerable? And I just realized the trope was you have to put his loved ones in danger week after week, but... Even despite that failing, as we talk, I'm going to be the one who has seen every episode of the 80s Superboy series or the early 90s Superboy series. I have seen every episode of Lois and Clark, and I have seen nearly every episode of Smallville. Oof! I have stuck by soups this whole time. Wow. I have seen that 80s show, now that I think about it. They had two different actors. I think one got a DUI and they replaced him with somebody else. But I remember the 80s thing, Superboy, but none of the other shows. No way. Every so often, the Lex Luthor from that Superboy show shows up in things. He's still a minor character actor, and to me, he'll always be Lex. Regardless of how we'll end up feeling about the Mole Men, I do think it's kind of appropriate that we start out with this kind of film, where it's really kicking off a television series, Superman. Here we are, celebrating his 75th year. We've celebrated Spider-Man's 50th last year, and here we are with Superman's 75th. Really, the first superhero as we come to understand superheroes today. Sure, there were different ideas before him that had elements, but this is the one that combined them all, the the powers, the secret identity. And what I find interesting about Superman is that his history is really a multimedia history. You take the idea of kryptonite. Well, that didn't come from the comics. That came from the radio show and was later adapted in the comics. This is a character that really has this star power, has crossed all these different media boundaries, and his history has been pulled together from all these different media incarnations of him well i hate to be the one to bring up philosophy here but the word superman i really associate it all the way back to the 1880s with frederick nietzsche who's famous for the best joke in a philosophy class you'll ever hear nietzsche says god is dead god says nietzsche is dead well anyway he was the guy that came up with the whole idea of creating the ubermensch which roughly translates as Superman. It was the whole idea that in an evolutionary world where God was dead, man would have to rise above himself to be this perfect ideal. And I'm wondering, was this in some way the formative idea for this character? It certainly was a formative idea in literature and plays and things that were happening after Nietzsche published the Uberman in his philosophical writings. It really became a concept that was trickled down through popular culture all the way until I think it reached comic books in the 1930s here. I studied philosophy in college. I know all about the Ubermensch. I think it's a happy coincidence. Now, here's the thing. There was a Superman written by... Siegel and Schuster, the creators, Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster, they wrote an illustrated short story called The Reign of the Superman. Superman had a very different look, much more like Lex Luthor. It was kind of campy, something you'd expect to see like in the Twilight Zone. There's a mad scientist. He plucks a guy during the Depression out of a breadline, gives him these powers. This guy becomes like this strong telepathic and becomes the Superman with these powers, but he's kind of a bad guy. He kills the scientist. He, he wants to make more powerful beings like him to take over the world. And then his powers wear off and he has to go back to the breadline because he's hungry. 
So basically, he was kind of a Nazi then. It was a whole take on what Hitler's take on Nietzsche was then. Jewish creators, maybe they were perhaps mocking the idea of the Ubermensch that Hitler would hold up. And there, you definitely see that when you study the history of Superman when the war started. They did a very controversial, what if Superman was real? What would he do with Hitler? And, you know, Superman goes over and nabs Hitler, takes him to the UN to be judged and held accountable for his crime. I mean, it was banned. Hitler hated Superman. Banned it. Superman and Mickey Mouse banned in Nazi Germany. <laughs> How controversial. I think everyone else is pretty cool with the fact that Superman was anti-Nazi. But all right. <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine him as a character living in our world. Ultimately, when we think about Superman, the guy in the red, blue, and yellow tights, I only see him in this artificial world. I mean, that's the thing about DC, right? Unlike Marvel... They don't put their characters in the real world. They made up cities, right? They have their own universe that really isn't us. Which, funny enough, you know, again, talking about Superman crossing all these different media boundaries, Siegel and Schuster, they really like that movie Metropolis. You know, the silent film about the female robot. They picked the name Metropolis for Superman to live in. You know, the man of tomorrow living in this futuristic city like New York where it's hip and it's not like that Smallville in Kansas. Yeah, I think DC, their history goes back again 75 years of superman goes back so much further you have more of these elements that they've carried on you look at the modern marvel universe they really kind of came up in the 60s with stanley and jack kirby fantastic four where they really did a different model of comic books by making it more realistic in our world so yeah dc very different history very different model than what we would see with marvel but by the same token it's easily argued that DC started it. With the creation of Superman and then later Batman, DC created a mold for superhero comics, which Marvel would then evolve, and then DC would later evolve themselves further and goes back and forth as to who the horse leading the race is. But for me and my understanding, Superman is the prototype from which all other superheroes spring. And again, a lot of the comic book quote-unquote superheroes. I mean, you look at Batman, not really a superhero. He's a normal guy that dresses up really based on the pulp fantasies, you know, Green Hornet and the Shadow, things like that. Superman is really different because he was a guy with powers. He took on a secret identity to be a normal guy. All those other ones, their secret identity were these superheroes. Here is the superhero doing the reverse thing and acting like the normal guy. So, yeah, Arnie, you're right. He created what we understand today as a superhero. It all started with Superman here. Yeah, I do think of DC as being the pioneers by having Batman and Superman. I don't know much about comics, but I always give them the credit for having gone there first. And not only that, but they go there first with media as well. They were the first ones to have superheroes on the screen in serials and cartoons and to the movies even. I mean, Christopher Reeves' Superman the movie came out a full eight years before Marvel's first effort, which was Howard the Duck. So let's give DC some props here. Well, it helped that... DC was bought by Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers being a vast multimedia empire and Marvel Comics staying in print until a series of mergers and eventually being bought by Disney. And that was after they'd finally broken through into movies on their own. So having Warner Brothers as your corporate parent can certainly help pave the way to the screen in a number of ways. Sure. And was it Warner Brothers then that commissioned this movie that we're here to discuss today? Warner Brothers didn't buy Superman until the 60s. So for the really early stuff you're mentioning, serials and these early TV shows, 
No, that was just DC being there first. And again, like Jacob said, Marvel didn't even create their superhero world until the late 60s. So DC really had a history at this point. By the time Superman was on the small screen, he'd already been in comics for well over a decade. Plus, radio shows having been the big thing they were back then, they were adapting a lot of radio shows. Lone Ranger was another one I watched as a kid with the silver bullets and the masked man. God, wow, I could never do that. Anything on Nick at Night, no way, couldn't do. Lassie, none of that stuff. I've never been into the golden era of television. Just couldn't stomach it. No Mr. Ed? No, God, no. I I did Mr. Ed and Dennis the Menace. That's about all I could take. Well, Arnie, if you've seen all of this stuff, I think it falls to you to give the plot for this movie. Quote-unquote movie. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Why don't you tell them what this 59 minutes is all about? Well... Knowing the public just can't get enough news stories involving deep holes, the Daily Planet sends their two best reporters, Clark Kent and Lois Lane, to the middle of nowhere. Without their photographer. (laughs) Where's Jimmy? I think Lois is the photographer. She has a camera at one point. A small town called Silsby to interview reps from the National Oil Company about their big hole. But when they get there, the drill has been shut down for mysterious reasons. Lois, being a woman, is ready to go home. It is the 50s. But Clark thinks there's a story behind why the National Oil Company is scrapping their most advanced well ever. Sure enough, Clark finds out that six miles underneath the Earth's crust, one of the oil company's scientists found microscopic life, though none should exist that deep. Fearing what else might be down there, they decided to cap the well. But it's too late as two curious hairy mole men climb the six miles up. Everything they touch becomes radioactive, and the town starts a posse to hunt and kill these two strange life forms. The only one who can stop the posse is Superman! But even he can't stop them from shooting one of the little creatures, so the surviving mole man goes back home, comes back with two more, and a laser gun. They've come for their friend, and for revenge. They shoot close-minded Benson, but Superman jumps in the path of the Death Ray. Superman returns the wounded or dead Mole Man to his comrades. I'm not really sure which one he was. And the Mole Men return underground. Lois observes this is the Mole Men's way of saying, you live your life, we'll live ours, as the story ends. And you guys told me to summarize a movie. I really have to just start by asking, is this a movie? I mean, we have this rule. We only review movies at Now Playing. We really don't do direct-to-DVD, except if it's a sequel, a direct sequel to a theatrical release. We don't do television unless it's been shown in some theater somewhere. Thank you, Turkey. But this, this is a two-part television episode, right? It's less than an hour in length. And 30 minutes too long. (laughs) (laughs) It does not meet the rules for a feature film, as I understand them. Right. No, a feature film, I think, at least how it's modern, categorically understood, is need to have 80 minutes. Truly, you need to clear an hour by at least 20 minutes in order to justify charging people a ticket price here. Maybe this was paired with other stuff. This was back in an age where there was serials and newsreels and things that happened before the movie. Maybe this was a double feature, but certainly I would feel ripped off if I had paid my nickel and only got 59 minutes. This is easily the shortest thing we've ever reviewed, and it's nearly the oldest thing we've 
ever reviewed here at Now Playing. We did review Thing from Another World as a bonus feature a couple years ago, and that one was uh, six months prior to the release of this movie. But same year, 1951. Well... I was just happy that I didn't have to hunt this down. It turns out I already owned it and didn't even know it. No, my DVD library isn't that vast. It's just that they snuck this in like an Al-Qaeda terrorist in the Superman box set. And about as welcome. (laughs) Yeah, it's a featurette. I asked Netflix to send it to me. I was surprised they had it. And it came as a bonus disc for Superman. It was filled with Superman cartoons and this. I mean, it was just sort of a toss off. Well, I'm glad I wasn't the only one confused to her, because I, too, got it from Netflix. I'm like, huh? Why did they send me the extras disc? (laughs) Yeah. I was worried. I was glad you told me, Jacob, because I was about to head to eBay to find a (laughs) copy of this thing. And you're like, oh, it's on the bonus discs. And I had picked up the Superman Blu-ray set with all of the movies, even Superman Returns on it. So it's the most recent box set. And sure enough... Yes, next to some early cartoons, which I did watch, including Bugs Bunny as Super Bunny with his carrots, which took me back to watching Bozo as a kid. I'd seen that one before. And yeah, Superman and the Mole Men. But I have kind of shown my hand by calling this film an Al-Qaeda terrorist. I don't know (laughs) that there's a lot of question as to how I feel about this movie having seen it. But I will say, I turned it on again, like I said, really excited to revisit the George Reeves era of Superman and hopefully get back some of those memories. Knowing that this did air on television very shortly after its theatrical run as a two-part episode, there is a high probability I've already seen this and just don't remember it succinctly among all the other Superman I watched. Yeah, basically, they made this to get the show greenlit, right? Like, this was the test to see if they could make this work as an adventure weekly on TV. They didn't make more movies after this. The inspiration was purely to get this out quickly. They shot it in television time. I mean, it took 12 days on a back lot to get this done. And in fact, they were only going to do a theatrical release if the series was really bombing and they needed to recoup some money. And then they decided, oh, we'll do theaters anyway just to promote the TV show. Different era. What can you say? TV was in its infancy, so maybe it needed that kind of promotion. But it's hard to imagine now. And it's hard to imagine how I'm going to spend the next hour talking this very, very simple movie. You're right. It's a TV episode. I will grant you that. It is too long at an hour. It could have been cut down to half this length and still made its point. This is a glorified show. And they feel no need to let us know who Superman is beyond a simple prologue. They do a superimposition. There's a guy in a suit, that's Clark Kent, and he's really this guy in a cape that came from outer space. Any questions? Okay, good. Nope, (laughs) let's go. Which was how the TV series started, so I was right at home. Yeah, I remember watching this opening over and over, because I would always try to watch this at Nick at Night. I've seen this opening a million times, so it did feel comfortable to me. It's something I had seen before. I'd never made it much through an episode, but yes, this all came flooding back to me, this opening. The interesting thing here is truth, justice, and the American way. It's really this show that popularized that. They didn't come from the comics. It was actually one of the radio serials that started introducing Superman as being for truth and justice. And then it was during the Fleischer era cartoons, during World War II only, they added and the American way. And then after the war ended, they took that out. But this show, this went from 1951 to 58 in every episode, Truth, Justice, and the American Way. This is, again, one of those other than comics multimedia things that 
has come to define Superman. And once we get to returns, you know, there's some controversy because of this saying. I could see why they would add the American way in the 50s. You said they added it in World War II. We were fighting Nazis. But in the 50s, we were fighting the Reds. This, you know, McCarthy-era America. If they weren't careful, I could see somebody labeling Superman a commie. So, yeah, he's fighting for the American way. And the subtext there is against the Reds. Yeah, I'm sure they looked him up and down with that red cape. It was pretty suspicious to me, particularly when you consider that this pilot adventure for him, we'll get into it when we get into it, but it's certainly not the red scare propaganda I fully expected it to be, and which all things from this era tend to be. I mean, look at thing from another planet. That is a veiled metaphor for communist invasion. People that look like us, that have no feelings, no human organs inside of them, no beating heart within them, they're vegetable commies and they need to be destroyed before they take over all of us here. I fully expected to be seeing Superman fighting for the American way by battling moldmen that represent that. But no, truly, the surprise of this movie is that it's a lot more sympathetic than I would have imagined. There's no enemy here. I thought the title of this movie was Superman versus the moldmen. But Superman does not fight the moldmen. No, that was perhaps my most disappointing thing. I started my notes. I wrote Superman versus the Mole Men. And then yes. had to scratch that all out. Superman and the Mole Men. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring, does it? I mean, why do that? Why introduce a superhero character and give him no supervillain to fight? It seems like a curious choice. Was that true to the series? Did they rarely give him a Luther or Superbad battle? In the TV series, he was always battling a bad. There was always a bad guy. I remember him fighting gangsters and ah, all yes. kinds of things. So I was prepared completely for this being a movie to even up the ante some more. And he would fight somebody badder than bad. I mean, normally he was fighting just regular people. Here, I expected him to fight somebody really powerful. Mole men! <laughs> Here's the thing. When I was like eight or nine, I got into Mad Magazine. And my dad's like, oh, you're reading Mad Magazine? Here's like a huge box of old Mad Magazines that I read when I was a kid. So I'm going through all my dad's old Mad Magazines. He's got a stack of old Superman comics in there. And I read through all those. This isn't that far from what Superman comics in the 50s were like. You know, there's this theory that you get this evolving Superman that reflects each era. When he first came about during the Depression, he was fighting slum lords and sticking up for poor people and the war came <laughs> along and he went over to Germany and there's this theory that you read his comics in the 50s and 60s and he is like the post-war vet, the 1950s nuclear dad trying to keep the kids straight. It's not uncommon to see him in those comics, you know, bending Lois over and spanking her for being a naughty girl. Like, he took on this father figure role. So as I'm watching this, he is almost like this dad separating these two groups of kids that aren't getting along and taking away their guns. So this isn't that far off from what you would read in the comics at the time, which I found interesting. It might not make for an exciting film, but it's not uncommon to see this kind of story with Superman, at least during the 50s. Well, it leaves me with questions. Why are we here? What's going on? If Moldman aren't creating havoc, what has brought two reporters from Metropolis to this small town in Texas? They're digging the deepest oil well possible, and they shut it down because they found some glowing material they don't even know what it is. It might be radiation, it might be phosphorescence, but it's glowing, and so we're just going to end it. I got an idea. Have you found oil? Keep drilling till you find oil. <laughs> it doesn't matter how... 
deep you go, if there is no oil there, you can go into the magma of the earth. You're not going to get oil if there's no oil here. What are they doing with this stupid oil well? I live in Texas now, lots of oil fields. I don't think they've dug to the center of the earth to find their <laughs> oil. That seems like a lot of work. I know you make a lot of money off oil. That seems like a really expensive process to dig, what, six miles deep into the earth or whatever they say. And I love that Silby, home of the world's deepest oil well. Really? That's going to attract people? Because you can't, like, look down into it. It just seems like a weird tourist attraction, weird thing to base your little town off of. And given my bias with these days, you know, BP oil spill off land and all of that, I think that, oh, well, these must be the bad guys. They're drilling and the guy in the hat that makes all the decisions is looking highly suspicious as he's hiding gloves and just being really shady about what he's doing and why he's chosen to cap this well. I'm starting to think, okay, this is a story about an unethical Bill Oil Baron. That makes sense. But no, he actually proves to be an okay guy, too. He just wants to make sure that... He's not radiating anyone, and he's willing to throw away millions, if not billions of dollars, on the off chance that this might have some negative consequence to one of his workers. Yeah, he's not just closing the well down. He's throwing away every tool that was used. I got to figure there's some thermoses of coffee in there. Like, they're just throwing everything away, just burying it all. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what's going on at this point, too. I mean, they're throwing away the wrenches. They're tearing down the oil drill. I'm trying to figure out. I mean, obviously, I know they've encountered some mole man activity. But this level of destruction, this is the single most conscientious oil company in the history of fuel. Yes, I agree. It it didn't make any sense to me once he tells his tale, Kent finally pulls him aside and, you know, with a little bit of man-to-man talk, gets him to confess all and show him what's going on in the microscope. Yeah. Now I'm really curious. They think that there might be life down here. They think there might be a civilization, but they haven't seen it. They haven't explored it, and they're willing to walk away. Mercifully, for the sake of anything happening in this story, (laughs) the mole men just decide, why don't we go up there and see what the hell these people are doing? (laughs) So they climb up six miles of a straight hole. Sure. Okay, they're mole men. I'll give it to them. Look, they're described as mole bodies with giant human heads. Never mind, they just they have some black leotards on, but I guess moles could climb up through the earth. That's their deal, right? Come on. They're communists. This is the 50s. Look at those Stalinist eyebrows. They are pure (laughs) Stalin, hardcore believers. They come from a different world and are entering our normal society. I think I know what's going on here. I think I can understand what's being set up. I don't understand how these shrimps are going to pose a threat to Superman, but I at least think that as they're making an appearance, well, they're here to bring some kind of negative energy or philosophy, something that they're going to do is going to infect these town people and turn them into pod people or who knows what. I was just a little upset that there's two of them and they look like Manchichi. Yeah. I didn't expect high production values here, but here I am watching this film from the 50s. That couldn't have been standard definition, but put onto a standard definition format. They're like not even close to the camera most of the time. They're kind of far back in the foreground. I can still see the seams on their bald cap. It's that bad. They are unsettling by their furry eyebrows, but yeah, it's bad looking. I'm trying to figure out what it is about being a mole man that gives you hair on your hands, hair all over your body, or were they just wearing wool outfits? I'm not quite sure. But yet, they're all bald in that U-shaped hair pattern. Come on, their heads are rubbing up against the dirt as they're digging through the earth. (laughs) Rubbing that hair off. I thought the drill did that for them. (laughs) 
Yeah, they're not mole enough. I mean, let's face it, they couldn't afford the whole mask thing. So it was probably the right choice to let the actors have their real faces and not do too much putty on it. They're frightening enough to give the Night Watchmen a heart attack, I can tell you that. And they build this whole murder mystery as to whether they killed him or whether just the sight of them is enough to send a 70-year-old man over the edge. That's really the hook for the first episode of this two-part episode, Who Killed Pa? I figured out that it was a heart condition that killed Pa right away. I mean, these two little mole men don't look like they could harm anything. They don't look dangerous. You say let these two actors go at it. These two actors are really into character, and all they look is curious. And I'm immediately taken back, again, like I was when we did our Batman 66, to Star Trek and Twilight Zone and these types of old sci-fi TV series. I immediately know that these guys mean no harm. This dead guy's a coincidence, and I see where things are going. I just hope that they eventually mean harm. I still want Superman versus the Mole Men, even though I don't think it's too much of a fight for Superman to beat up two little people in hair outfits. Yeah, the thing I started thinking about, because I'm with you, I was starting to figure it out. If they're not doing anything evil when they first come out, if they look at Lois and run away, I know that they can't be that bad. I'm starting to think that this is going to be a conflict that brews out of a misunderstanding. And that was a big theme for a big hit that same year, the day the Earth stood still. This is the guy that comes out and waves the thing that looks like the gun. Well, we're going to overreact and cause these mole men to bring out Gort. I'm quite sure that they're going to follow the formula and that these mole men are going to be fall guys and martyred by a larger army of mole men as the story progresses. That's what I think is going to happen here. But I got to say, if they're phosphorescent, if everything they touch from the oranges to the tree branches glows, why is it so hard? for anyone to find them. Why is it that the posse <laughs> cannot track the moleman down? You'd think there would be some glowing footprints. Yes! I, I was waiting for that. At one point, one of the moleman falls down on top of a bush and then it starts glowing like perhaps there's no radiation giving out of their feet. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. They should just be able to follow the glowing footsteps. Well, things only glow when we're in that very strange still camera shot. So <laughs> nothing ever glows <laughs> while people are moving. I think they draw over it in certain things. I mean, I think that's animation they use to give it wavy lines. But all this seems like a real farce to try and track down glowing moldmen. Yeah, it would have certainly sped up this film. I feel like about 45 minutes of the 59 minutes here are Molmen creeping around. <laughs> I was getting a little tired of that. I did get a bit of a Frankenstein vibe when they creep into that little girl's room, though, and they start playing ball with her. And I was wondering, even though I knew the old man died of a heart attack, and Clark Kent confirms that as soon as he goes in, but I'm wondering, will they accidentally kill the little girl? Because nothing against old people, but an an old person dying is not a tragedy. It's going to happen eventually, and this was the 50s. He was probably nearing the end of his lifespan. But a little child dying, that's something to get a posse over. Right, I agree. And they do send her to the hospital. She and her hilarious mom are presumed contaminated. I gotta say, watch that woman's reaction when she walks in the room. You can see her thinking. She's like, all right, I'm not supposed to know them. She comes in looking at the ceiling, counts to three. You can see her lips move, and then she looks down and screams. 
you gotta love the days of early acting when people did not know how to do it. But I do find it funny, too, everyone's casual reaction to radiation here. They go to the hospital to find out if they have radiation poisoning. Like, Mr. Corrigan and Clark, they're looking at these possible radioactive germs that they found on the drill. Like, oh yeah, we should probably check that out, even though we're exposing ourselves to it right now. Very casual attitude towards radiation poisoning in those days. To say that people were ignorant about the dawn of the nuclear age cannot be over-exaggerated. Hey, duck and cover. That'll protect you from a nuclear bomb blast. I mean, people just did not know in 1951 what was up and how scared they should be. But these kids aren't even radioactive. We'll eventually see it's all written away that it's just phosphorescence. That, you know, this girl is not harmed. The mother is not harmed. The night watchman was not attacked. He was not radiated. They don't even have the power of radiation. These people just glow in the dark and they're ugly and thus they came out of the ground so thus they're scary and that's what we're dealing with. They're boogeymen and it's creating a mob mentality in Silsby in which people see things that aren't there and start to rally a posse get the hounds, get the shotguns and shoot anything that moves because we're being invaded. And the leader of this posse, Benson. And Benson is your stereotypical hick. He's got the gun. He's got the posse. He refuses to listen to reason. But you notice we're talking about mole men. We're talking about little girls and bad acting moms. We're talking about Benson. Who aren't we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering the same thing. There's no Superman in this damn film. I am waiting. Show me Superman. That's why I'm watching this. Yeah. But you know, this was a problem, even if you look at the Incredible Hulk show, or large early attempts at bringing superheroes to television. They don't have the money to have these people flying around, showing their powers all the time. They have to make a large part of it be their human alter ego, and then maybe two minutes of the show is them doing something terrific. You know, breaking a gun in half. That's what Superman does here. That's kind of what Hulk does on his shows. Those bust-up moments are few and far between when superheroes are on TV. But we get so little of Clark Kent in this, too. Yeah, when we watch those Bixby films, Bruce Banner's in them most of the time. You know, even in those Spider-Man ones, lots of Peter Parker. Here, Clark comes in and out every once in a while to, to help push the exposition along and then wanders out and we get more mole men creeping around and more Benson raising up his posse. Like, there's so little of the one character, either identity, that I want to see. Yeah, Clark himself is fairly ineffectual here. He's more effective than Lois, and I just cringe at the portrayal of 1950s women here, where she's supposed to be a reporter, but really she takes a couple photographs and, the will is closed, let's go back. (laughs) And it's Clark, there's a story. I love it. She walks in and sees the dead old guy and it's just like, no, don't go jumping to conclusions. Let's not investigate this. He picks up an orange sack and goes, but why is this here? And she's like, call the cops. (laughs) She wants to go back to the hotel and just sleep after she sees the woman. Like she needs her rest. But Clark, first of all, his mild-mannered appearance, I suppose, gets the scientists to tell him everything. He's a reporter. I have no secrets, but I know if a reporter starts asking questions, don't tell them. (laughs) Not if you don't want the whole world to know. This isn't the Clark Kent I thought I knew. He's not klutzy. He's not funny. He's not hiding his identity. I mean, he should try harder. Come on, he pulls that fedora down over his face. But he speaks in the same sonorous tones as when Superman does. In both characters, he spends all his time lecturing people on how they're jumping to conclusions and to not go on a witch hunt. I mean, he's barely concealing who he is. 
What's even crazier, remember, this isn't Sylvie, this is not a Metropolis, and Superman's just gonna happen to pop up. That's the craziest thing. Isn't that the giveaway? Yeah, they specifically say it's 2,500 miles from Metropolis, and nobody's questioning why Superman just happens to be at a closed-down well 2,500 miles from Metropolis. Do they even know who he is? I mean, everyone's up in arms about Little Mole Men, and suddenly a flying muscle man in an ill-fitting cloth suit lands, <laughs> and nobody says nothing. There's 30 people, they don't bat an eyelash. They're like, okay, I mean, really, if you're going to get hysterical, start there. Start with that outfit. Yeah, you mentioned the outfit. I never realized exactly how good spandex is for superheroes until I see this, which is, what would you say, a collie pot and blend? I think his mother made it for him. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing, and I don't know exactly how filming worked back in these days, but they had so little faith in this that they wouldn't even commit color film. Later on, the TV series went into color once it became popular, but they started in black and white, and the suit they used, black and white. I don't know if that's because it would pop better with this kind of film, but they couldn't even give any color to this actual suit when they were filming. Wow, I never saw the color episodes, but then again, I never saw any of the episodes, and never will. Actually, that's kind of a normal trick for black and white filming is you wouldn't put someone in a red shirt. You'd put them in something that would differentiate and then have somebody say he's wearing a red shirt. So that's why colorization never actually reproduces the original image. But but when the suit turned to color, did it not wrinkle so easily? <laughs> this thing looks like it's so loose on him. It's like it wasn't made for him. It's like he went to the off-the-rack costume store. <laughs> Oh, poor Superman. I did watch Hollywood Land, which is about George Reeves, and apparently, I wish I would have saw that before I would have watched the moment, I would have looked for it more, but at least in Hollywood Land, he puts on, like, some kind of foam-molded muscles underneath the suit. I didn't really notice it when I was watching this. I don't know if you guys noticed that at all, but the suit, it does not look like it's comfortable at all. That was foam muscles? I thought that was beer belly. <laughs> You know, fitness had a different take in 1951. That's true, those old Hercules films. Yes, exactly. The bodybuilding culture has changed with steroids and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's implants. It's an entirely different thing. You can look entirely differently. I imagine that this guy looked pretty impressive to the children in 1951 when they saw him. I mean, he's got good posture. I'll give him that. <laughs> the gait and heft of a man that looks powerful, even though, no, he isn't the image that I have of Superman from the comic books. I'll say this, when Superman does show up, I recognize the poor production, how bad this storyline is. I do see something in Reeves, though. Like, I could see what would appeal to a little child watching this character. He doesn't do a whole lot when he flies. It's more like one big jump. You know, he bullets bouncing off of him. We don't see anything. It's just sound effects. But the way he holds himself up, there is a confidence to this Superman. And I did see a charm in that. I could see myself as a five-year-old loving this. There is something likable of Reeves as Superman. And I'll agree, he certainly has the nobility, the clean-cut nature, and yeah, when I was five, I did love him. Now he's a little square, but that's a product of the time. It's not a product of his acting. He's giving the part exactly what they're asking for, and it's not anything special now. The one thing that I would say is that you say he's powerful, Stuart. I'm surprised at the lack of power Superman has. I thought super speed was just in Superman's repertoire. I thought that he had a set of powers that would be used. But here, he can fly a little, 
Yeah, but this is not even the flying that I remember from that show. Didn't they usually lay him on a table and superimpose him in the hair? All he does is, like, jump out of frame. I think they have one tracking shot on a wire above the town, but you never see this man in the air. Once, in the animated scene when he catches the little mole man. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there is that. But he does jump out of frame, and I guess they had wires on him, because that's actually a pretty convincing jump. But he's bulletproof and strong, and he can fly, and I think that's the extent of his powers. I don't see any super breath, I don't see any heat vision. I know in the TV series he had x-ray vision, but he doesn't demonstrate that here, or he'd be able to find those mole men real easily. Oh no, he does! It's actually kind of clever how they do that. Later, when the mob is coming, he's able to see them before they round the corner. They do it in dialogue. They don't do it with any kind of visual effect. I actually thought it was kind of funny. And I'm not sure what the state of Superman's powers were in the 50s. They are something that are always changing. If you remember the old introduction, you know, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Originally, Superman, he was like a cricket. He couldn't fly. He would just jump really high and really far, kind of like the Hulk in that Ang Lee film. So his powers were always evolving until he really became like this super god that we'll see much later. And I think they've depowered him a little bit just because he did get so powerful. But yeah, at least by the 50s, I'm sure he had x-ray vision. I know he did. I'm sure he had heat vision. He had more powers than they demonstrate here. What He flies and bullets bounce off him. He bends lots of guns. I I imagine this is an NRA nightmare, this film. Like, (laughs) Superman actively saying, I'm going to take your guns away. This would not fly in today's political climate. I love it, though, because what he says is, you can't be responsible with guns, so I'll take them away from you. (laughs) Okay, I'll go with that. But how he takes them away is hysterical because he grabs them out of their hand and throws them to the ground and moves on to the next one. What's to stop someone else from then picking up that gun again? Well, he does call them Nazi stormtroopers. It's rough. I cannot believe the lecturing that Superman is doing. I guess I never thought of him as being this teacher here. I thought of him as someone that punched out bad guys. I did not know that he walked around trying to tell people how they should live. But I really feel like there is a philosophical quality to this version of Superman. He is teaching you life lessons. He is teaching you to be a better person when he shows up. He's not necessarily doing anything super heroic. You're saying teacher... I'm saying daddy. Again, that was the feel of Superman in the 50s was that he was a father figure. But I think, and we'll probably see this later on, the point of Superman isn't really his powers. That's kind of a MacGuffin. Yes, he's a big, powerful god, but that's not what makes him inspiring. It's that his job is to teach people to be better, to show them they could be something better than they are. And so I think this is actually a very true feeling to what the core of Superman is. It's not to punch out the big alien monsters or defeat Lex Luthor. It's to inspire people to be better. His powers actually don't matter. It's that he's a good person. He is that great big Boy Scout. Then they're doing something right. But I guess my conception of it is totally wrong. I look forward to seeing if that's true in the later films. But yes, after he's deflated the lynch mob, there's still Benson and a few others with hounds that have cornered the two mole men on top of a bridge. And we get what comes to be the most spectacular effect in the entire film, which is not to say that it is a good effect. It is (laughs) merely a effect that is showing the crudity of where animation was in 1951. That was really fun because it was like four frames and animation in 1951 was better than this i think it was animation in front of perhaps a real photograph i mean keep in mind steamboat willie was before 1951 they could have done better 
You had Superman cartoons yeah, yeah. before this. Yeah, I, I mean strictly the animation visual effect work. What we see is that a cutout of Superman flies into frame, catches the Mole Man as he's shot and falls off the dam and then carries him off to the hospital. I mean, it's all, yes, passes within a few seconds. It's still too long. It's quite an eyesore. But I imagine in 1951, it gets the idea across and I might have even loved it. And then we spend an inordinate amount of time with the other one running away. Running past a hobo, running under a fence, tearing off boards of a wood cabin, and then them burning it down. The show really does become a good solid ten minutes of Mole Man persecution. Only ten minutes? (laughs) It felt so much longer. It does. I tell you. It really does. At this point, I have to say I'm pretty checked out because I realized that this whole thing has been Superman- versus the mob after superman finally showed up even once he's in outfit after he catches his mole man he disappears for most of the last 10 minutes there as it's the mob and he what takes the manchichi to the hospital yeah, he's like hanging out in the doctor's office this whole time, not helping the other mole man. The doctor wants to help, but the nurse won't have anything to do with it. She claims it's not a dog hospital and she calls it a thing. So Kent, not Superman, Kent gets in scrubs and without any medical training, goes and pulls a <laughs> bullet out of a creature no one has ever seen before. But finally, we get the movie that I suspected they were going to do all along. In the last five minutes, three new mole men come out with a big ass laser and at last, I'm thinking thinking, oh good, we can get a battle. We're going to get our gort on. They're going to do Day the Earth Stood Still here with a showdown that Superman's going to have to come in the middle of. And again, I know it's budget, I know this is television, but I really thought the Mole Men should invade in mass. I thought the Lollipop Guild should come up in hair suits and really run amok. But no, instead of two Mole Men, now it's three with a big Lost in Space gun. Yeah, I thought we were going to get a whole army of the Mole Men too, but no. In Three of them come up, but there's only one gun. These mole men do not deserve to take over the surface. Not too smart. Have you seen the size of the gun and the size of the mole men? I think they had to take turns climbing up six miles holding it. (laughs) Obviously trying to compensate for other shortcomings with that gun. Their baldness. (laughs) All I know is that everything that the censors were saying about too much violence in television has proven true. Because me, as a product of watching TV in the 70s and 80s, was expecting violence on a level they were not even beginning to go there with in 1951. I was quite sure that our human enemy, the instigator, Benson, was going to get zapped, and that was going to solve the problem. But when they finally do use this big-ass laser, what does it do to him? He just kind of shakes for a little bit, but there is no death. (laughs) Yeah, he screams. It hurts. Maybe if they would have shot him for, like, another 30 minutes to extend this out to a full feature-length film, he would have finally died. Isn't that the whole point? Benson, he gets lectured over and over that he's going to bring about his own downfall by overreacting, dies. That's how the moral of the story goes, but no, here he gets a little heartache and Superman jumps in front of the ray and it's over. I guess it's enough to just learn your lesson through pain, but I thought, yeah, in any kind of story, you need to see the negative ramifications. We needed to see this guy punished. But then again, they're doing a whole parody of the Red Scare. I mean, this guy is Joseph McCarthy. You can't shoot Joseph McCarthy and have the superhero of the American way watch on and not do anything, not intervene. I mean, it was risky what they were doing here. I don't want to undersell the fact that it's impressive that as crude as the story is being 
being told, the story they are telling is of calmness in a time of mass hysteria. That is really admirable. Admirable, but not entertaining. (laughs) Agreed. At least not now, and I dare wonder if it was back then. (laughs) I know. This got a green light, so somebody liked it. I think it was enough to just put on the suit. Truly, and something where superheroes have been so underexposed, 1951, when it's only been on the page or on your radio, just seeing a guy in a suit for two minutes within an hour might have been enough to get people really hopped up here. But yes, coming back to it now, this quote-unquote climax is a real snooze. I mean, essentially, Superman blocks the laser beam, tells them to go back where they belong, and they do. They just blow up the well, cover the cap, and let bygones be gone. You know, Lois gets the last word. You live your life, and we'll live ours. It's not pro-commie, but, you know, tolerance itself could have been perceived as being a weakness in that time. And I still think it's impressive that that's the note they went out on, even though it's not the movie I was wanting. Jacob, Stewart, do you recommend Superman and the Mole Men? Jacob. You know, there's things that are admirable about this. I do like this message of tolerance. It's something that would surprise me watching this today, thinking about what 1950s America was like. I like seeing this version of Superman where he's there to be the leader, there to show people a better way to do things. And instead of grabbing your guns, instead of grabbing, at one point, one of the mob grabs a barber's pole off the wall <laughs> to, I guess, beat one of the mole men to death. Like, yes, there is a better way than mass hysteria. I like that message. It's cuddly. It's fluffy. I like George Reeves here. It's nostalgia for me now. I, I If I was watching this not knowing anything about Superman at the age I am now, I'd think this is cheesy, but th- there is something charming about him. This isn't a good film. I don't think this is going to hold the attention of a five-year-old. That's the only kind of person I would recommend this to. I think they would get a kick out of watching Superman. Go watch the other episodes of the television show that came later. They're, they're probably more engaging than this one. This is just too much moment creeping around. It wears my patience more than anything. I could go with the bad effects with the bad acting it's just a trial of patience though for me with so much time devoted to not superman to these creepy hairy creatures crawling around and bugging hobos so yeah i don't hate this film but i'm neutral to it it's not a recommend i can't spit up a lot of bile though for it Stuart. This is for children. I mean, you have to look at it from that standpoint. But I would no more ask a child to sit through this than I would give them a hobby horse or something. (laughs) It's antiquated. It's outdated. And I'm not a guy that hates old movies. I think certain eras are great for certain kinds of entertainment. But the 1940s, the 1950s were crap as far as being able to present fantasy, sci-fi, those kinds of features. It's just all a bunch of paper plates on shoestrings and stuff. I mean, this is just not a good era for trying to make superheroes happen. So not surprisingly, this is a muddled, silly little affair. You're right, Jacob. There's nothing to hate on. I feel no joy in saying not recommend, but clearly it is a weak film for any modern audience to sit through. A real tough sit for me, even at 59 minutes. I agree with you, Stuart. This isn't a film to show a five-year-old. This is a film to show an 85-year-old to go remember when you were young. Yeah. I don't take joy in hating it. And in fact, I may be a bit harsher on it than you, Jacob, because this message of tolerance isn't novel. It may not be what you'd expect from the political climate of McCarthy-era America, but again, I've seen Lost in Space. I've seen The Twilight Zone. I've seen every episode of the original Star Trek series. The liberal media pushed this type of tolerance message constantly down the throats of America. 
damn those liberals wanting us to get along. <laughs> yes, but 10 years after the fact. I mean, all those things you listed are from the 60s. This is 1951. Be that as it may, it's my point of reference, and I think they could have done better with Superman just by having him foil some bank robbers in Metropolis. I mean, again, I remember watching this as a kid. I remember Jimmy Olsen. I remember Perry White. I remember the Daily Planet. If this is to introduce me to the series, why are you only giving me Superman in this random town? The series was not the Hulk. This was not Clark and Lois going to another random town at, like, Wagon Train and trying to fix a wrong in that town. Trouble came to them week after week. Why was Lois never taken hostage? A staple of that show. Maybe it's because they hadn't figured out their formula yet. Maybe because it's the pilot. But what they have here, it's not Superman, it's Super Doll. It's a not recommend. A very, very easy not recommend. And with that, our homework obligation is done. I'm looking forward to next week when we can talk about one of the real movies. Well, I did do a little extra homework here. Like I said earlier, I watched Hollywoodland. I wanted to find out more about George Reeves. Like I said, I found some charm in him. And unfortunately, you know, he had a mysterious death. It appeared to be suicide. And that's what Hollywoodland explored, this life he had. Really feeling typecasted once he got this Superman role and wanting to do more with his acting career not being able to get out of it there's some conspiracies maybe who has murdered but if you want to find out more about george reeves and superman there is that film not really a big recommend on it go to the wikipedia and read the actual news it kind of a slow film but there was a tragic ending to this man of steel this character yeah there's like a superman curse right it seems like whoever takes on this role, it doesn't end well for them. I mean, he was the first. And what was the death? What do we know factually that happened to George Reeves? He was found laying on his back, naked, feet on the floor on his bed, with one bullet shot through his head. He had a Luger that was found on the scene. Uh, there's people that say, you know, the autopsy wasn't done right, bruises weren't noticed, there was no powder on his fingers, which would suggest he didn't pull the trigger. But yes, he was found naked on his bed with a bullet hole in it going through his head. Ugh, that's awful. It's also terrible PR for a show where he's playing a character that's supposed to be impervious to this. I imagine it was detrimental to the whole franchise, to the series. Was it canceled by this time? It was struggling. They did have a pilot for kind of a spinoff at this point called The Adventures of Super Pup. Crypto? No, not crypto. Not an animated feature. They filmed the pilot. You could go to YouTube and watch this pilot. It is the same sets as this universe. It is people in dog suits dressed in human clothes <laughs> doing Superman <laughs> stories. <laughs> Oh, wow. How could I resist? I would have rather watched Bark Bent than Mole Men. I'll tell you that right now. Well, I'm not sure, but my curiosity is piqued about something before Christopher Reeve, and I just didn't think that that would be true with Superman. <laughs> it is kind of tragic. You have this tragic suicide or perhaps murder, and they're like, well, this is the direction we'll take the show now. Dogs. Live action <laughs> dogs. People in dog suits. It was the 50s ungenerous to say the least but george reeves does have a place in superman lore I, I imagine he'll always earn some respect some remembrance but i just don't think you need to go back to look at the work i hate to say it that way but it's it pioneered television but it's not exactly a great representation of the character on screen i mean i certainly don't want any more of super pup Superman, any of this stuff. I mean, they kept flopping, too. Until Reeve, they had, what, the musical? 
before Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, they did try a Superhand musical on Broadway before, and it, surprise, surprise, was a big stinking bomb called It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. You guys heard of this one? I have. Yeah, I actually found the vinyl LP at a used record store right around the time Turn Off the Dark came out. I almost bought it, but $6 was about five too many. Nah, it's definitely not worth it. You can actually even YouTube this as well. They did do a TV special that reunited some of the musical sequences. I watched what I could stomach of it. It's really atrocious. It making new gratitude towards the Spider-Man show. At least that one had glitz. This is just pathetic. And surprisingly, Broadway's going to mount it again. They haven't learned their lesson. This summer, it'll be back on Broadway. Yes, and there were endless animated series as well, but eventually it would make its way back to the big screen with Superman the Movie, which we will discuss next week. And in the meantime, if you need even more now playing, our spring donation drive has started. These donation drives are when we raise the money we need to keep this show going. This show costs us a lot of money out of our pocket. Not just theater tickets, but bandwidth, server speed. You guys may notice when we put out the new show on Tuesdays, Sometimes it takes a little while for it to show up in your iTunes because our servers have trouble keeping up because we need to keep updating them. It's like a snowball going downhill. We're picking up momentum, but it means every few months I have to pay more money to keep these servers running. But what it really means is that all spring long we're talking about zombies. To raise the cash, we've decided we're going to not just do our normal kind of donation drive. We're going big with the four Evil Dead movies. We already released that one last Friday. We're going to cover all the four movies, including this remake. We're going to keep going with Return of the Living Dead. There's five ones in that. A 28 Days Later, a 28 Weeks Later, and capping it all off with a weekend of release for the new biggest horror movie ever made, World War Z. That's right, and we are doing these as a thank you to those who donate. $10 or more, since it does help us keep going, and you get the four Evil Deads plus World War Z when it comes out later this summer. $25 or more, and we're going to really load up the zombies with all of the Return of the Living Dead podcast plus 28 days and 28 weeks later. Yeah, that's the most shows we've ever offered for that price. And it's basically because we don't know if there's a lot of interest in Return of the Living Dead rave to the grave, but maybe so. Maybe that'll be the big breakout hit of the donation series. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I do like Return of the Living Dead and I do like zombies. So yeah, I hope you guys can find the cash and join us. It should be a really good fun spring. And we do thank you so much for your support of our show. In addition, you can head to nowplayingpodcast.com for more podcasts. In our archives section, you can hear our review of Green Lantern, Catwoman, Batman, maybe Batman. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. (laughs) As well as all the Marvel Comics movies and so many more. Hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. So, Stuart Jacob, thank you for joining me. And until next time, up, up, and away! I have to leave. I knew this time would come. We both knew it from the day we found you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. The virtuous spirit has no need for thankful approval, only the certain conviction that what has been done 
right. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Superman movie leading up to this summer's Man of Steel. Again, again! Superman's bad. I mean, he was bad. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear reviews of comic book movies such as all the Batman films, Green Lantern, Catwoman, the Marvel Avengers films, and many more. You've come a long way since the old neighborhood. You can also hear our reviews of non-comic-based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. I never thought this thing would go the distance. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Now, this is a very special place for me. I wanted you to see it. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Let's go to my place. Maybe I should change first. You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Why am I not reading it? The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Superman will be there on Wednesday, all right? The city of Metropolis is generous to a fault. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Don't tell me. He sends a check every week to his sweet gray-haired old mother. Actually, she's silver-haired. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Now come on, lady, hand it over. Say, Jim, That's a bad outfit! You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties. Do you like pink? Coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. They have a wide selection. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. What What more could anyone ask? A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Now we're cooking, huh? Now Playing's Superman Retrospective Series is edited by Ray, Bill, Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. Your suffering will be short. Mine, forever. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. I do okay or what, Uncle Lex? Now Playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Pictures. Superman is the property of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended. The dude of steel. <laughs> Where are you gonna get it? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Why do you say this to me? When you know I will kill you for it. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced repurposed or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, I guess I'd better be going too. So I'll be going. Bye. See you later. I am now All right, me I am too. Recording. I pulled up all my notes for Superman 1. We're doing them all, man. Come on. You gotta do I it. I was so ready for <laughs> Richard Donner. <laughs> all right, here we go. <laughs> How did you get those hairy palms, Arnie?
by crawling six miles up a hole with my really bad skull cap and with my radiation tainted skin and touching things. I thought it would have been from repeatedly proving that you're quicker than a speeding bullet, but. Well, I hate to be the egghead here, but you can really trace the root of the word Superman back to philosophy. Frederick Nietzsche in the eight- Philosophy? <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> I'm the egghead here. Let me tell you a little <laughs> bit about some smart stuff. <laughs> At first, I thought you were going to say philosophies or something. I'm like, sub- wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just want falafels. I'm hungry. <laughs> Okay, take two. And the leader of this posse, Benson. And Jacob, I know you also watched the regular show. Were you also laughing pretty hard at the thought of the big-headed dude leading the gun posse? The big jerk on that show is the big jerk here. (laughs) Benson, the Robert Guillaume show? No, no, no. no. It's it's regular show. It's you wouldn't have seen it. I'm sure a regular (laughs) show. What does that mean? You only watch irregular things. No, it's regular show. Yeah, that's what it's called. We're moving on. Okay, it's over. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's something I don't understand here, but that's all right. Look, Google it later. Okay, but Benson. But what it really means is that we're talking about zombies all spring wrong because we need this money and we need to raise the. (laughs) I'm I'm turning into Super Pup. (laughs) All right, Lorch. (laughs) (laughs) No, what it really means is all. 